0: Bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys.
1: Just listen to Reply, guys. Hello, and welcome back to Reply, guys.
2: The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us.
1: So, uh, I. Kate have a new audiobook out this week, which many of you kn- know about uh, already, but I would really encourage you to, uh, to get it. Um, it's free if you have an audible subscription and if you don't have an audible subscription, you could sign up for the 30 day free trial, listen to it. And, uh, you know, then not be a subscriber anymore. I get, I, you know, without saying too much, uh, do I feel conflicted about the ethics of Amazon? Not really. I don't feel good about them at all, but (laughs) (laughs) also, uh, you know, gotta eat. (laughs) So, you know.
2: (laughs) There's, you know, there's no ethical posting and content creation under capitalism.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, But I am really proud of the book. It's Uh, very it was really personal to me and I it was just just a combination of like essays and interviews um, on the topic of masculinity and I got some socialist shit in there Um, you know so yeah I, I think that if you enjoy Reply Guys you would probably enjoy this it's a little bit more like a limited run podcast or something. Um, Cause there are a lot of really cool interviews in it. I interviewed Margaret Cho. I interviewed my dad. So if you've been curious to hear what my dad actually sounds like as a listener of the show, uh, then you'll have the opportunity. Um, and, you know, uh, I, yeah, I'm just, I feel like this project was, uh, was kind of a departure for me because it is comedic, but it also has a lot of like kind of, you know other emotions in it too that um i was excited to explore so um yeah please give it a listen and let me know what you think and also review it because my my trolls are up in them reviews as they always are (laughs) i don't know if you've seen the reviews for this show but it's always like it's like you know five star kate and julia are so thoughtful five star i love to hear uh these nice ladies talk about socialism and then like one star like why did two stupid bitches do a podcast I not know. funny all capital not letters.
2: funny <laughs> vocal fry and it's like come on <laughs> yeah it's really dumb um so, wait, wait. Also, can I say that one of my favorite reviews that we've ever gotten and I think it's from someone who genuinely like loves the show. Um, but it's a recent one and someone was like, oh. "I love the serious conversations, but when they have comedians on, it's unlistenable."
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I I thought that too. Like, it's kind of funny because some of the listeners of the show are definitely here from like being a comedy fan and then some of the listeners uh, to the show are here, because like you know, we talk about talk about the issues pertinent to uh, the things the leftists care about, and some of those folks follow me on Twitter. If you're listening, I love to, you know, I love you, and I'm I'm not roasting you, but it is kind of funny that like sometimes people followers will be like, "Why would you joke around about this topic?" And I'm like, because I'm literally <laughs> a professional comedian, like that is my job. That's what I do for a living, you know. <laughs> um, oh
2: boy! So I made okay. a bunch of
1: trouble with uh, labor Reply guys right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I've been posting about you know this the stimulus, which we're gonna get into um, on this, and how actually you know Biden has done less than Trump, you know, and even after this stimulus bill, arguably has done less than Trump. But I mean, it it hasn't happened hasn't happened yet you know um but also uh biden is locking up migrant children and um you know this is this has been um it's i'm not shocked by it at all but it is so jarring and saddening to see these people who spent years and years posting about kids in cages which is like legitimately terrible now a lot of those same people are attacking anyone who's still talking about like the fact that we shouldn't have kids in cages that actually children do not uh belong in jail you know adults don't either but um this week the biden administration reopened uh like a trump era detention site um in texas and you know it has like banners and shit now um but You know, it's, like, it's still a situation where kids cannot leave. Like, they're locked up, you know. They're not doing family separation anymore. This is, like, for unaccompanied minors. Um, And it's, like, I've seen people attempting to defend this with, like, well, where else are the children going to go? Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of fucking places that I went as a kid, uh, you know, hotels, the part. I don't know, none of them were jail. And, um, you know, there's certainly other options. Like, I, it's so sad that people, like how many people sort of conceptualize politics as like, oh, this is happening because there's literally nothing else that can be done like that. I mean it's just it's so much bootlicking, right? Like to just be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, well like these powerful people definitely have the best intentions." No they don't. You know what I mean? Like there's they, these facilities could be closed today, you know, if people wanted them closed, but um you know, but but what's the incentive really for someone like Biden uh or for Congress when like so many constituents will just, you know, be apologists for concentration camps or for breaking the promise for a $2000 stimulus check um you know because the math or because there's no alternative and uh, yeah it's just it's really frustrating and i i can tell it's going to be uh, an uphill battle to um to get people you know to broadly care about the uh atrocities that are happening under the biden administration in the same way that it it was with obama but i'm hoping that maybe it's a little different now because so many people have been politically galvanized since 2016 and there are so many you know millennials and zoomers that are kind of realizing that democrats and republicans are you know both um parties that are serving the interests of the ruling class and yeah like you know some of them are gonna put a rainbow flag on it but like ultimately the kids are still in cages either way you know Mm -hmm. it's disgusting
2: yeah uh it's it's very bad i also i don't know um you know in terms of, well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad that family separation isn't happening anymore, but in terms of, um, putting unaccompanied minors in, uh, detention facilities or jail, (laughs) like kid jail. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but I would guess that it doesn't yeah, have to be I mean, that.
1: And, you know, it's easy. there's no situation in which children should be in jail. But, I mean, we're also in the middle of a global pandemic. Social distancing is not possible in these situations. And yeah.
2: um,
1: the administration has been super unclear about, you know, if people will be, like, how often people will be tested and... Um, you know what the kind of covid precautions are going to be like will there be vaccines um this stuff is, I, like ho- hopefully there will be some kinds of covid precautions but it's yeah it's just uh it's a really unsafe situation for these kids and it's it, like having a welcome banner does not make it more humane um the idea i guess is for you know this mm-hmm. to be like a, a temporary facility, um, HHS said that the, uh, goal is like for kids to be there, um, for, uh, 30 days. Um, the average, uh, average custody for children across uh, these facilities is 42 days. Um, in 2020, it was 102 days. Um, and this is coming from the Washington Post, but, um, Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's too long for, for people to be, there's no amount of time that's okay for people to be, uh, in these facilities. But I mean, it's like, I mean, it's just such a fucking load of crap that like, it would take a month to do something, you know, else if they cared about doing something else. Like the, the reason that it's not happening is because they don't care, um, and uh yeah AOC has been tweeting about this which is which is cool i you know i don't stand politicians as as we've talked about on the show but i'm i'm definitely really glad that she's bringing some attention to it um because yeah it's uh i don't know it's it's just amazing how fast people will become apologists for things that they were so against when trump was doing you know rightfully so you know rightfully so kids should not be in cages or in storage containers Mm -hmm. or in jail um should be on like playgrounds and parks and shit you know um and so uh yeah it's just it's absolutely disgusting (laughs) um and uh it's also really gross how how many like this this thing that has been bothering me is just the sort of like there's always a time that it's not OK to talk about stuff. It's not OK to call out what the Biden administration is doing right now because, you know, it hasn't been very long since he's you know been elected, um, even though he had a whole like transition scene before that, you know, but he hasn't been the president for that long. So he hasn't had time to do anything. And then soon it's not going to be OK to talk about stuff because of the 2022 midterms um, and you know some people are already there, but there's there's not going to be a time when it's okay with liberals to talk about the failures of the Biden administration. There is no time that it's acceptable to it's trish
2: yeah there's uh there's a lot going going on right now as there as there always is, and there certainly has been for the last five years or so um I do want to give an update about the stimulus package. Um, Let's do
1: it. Let's do it.
2: So we've talked about it a little bit, as Kate alluded to. Uh, we are not going to be receiving uh, $2,000 checks. The 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 checks will be in the amount of $1,400 for individuals, $2,800 for couples, uh, and the, the upper income limit is $75,000 for individuals. And this is net gross income or some shit i don't know uh and $150,000 for couples so certainly better than <laughs> certainly better than the the proposed $50,000 uh upper income limit for individuals but so the the current bill uh, as it stands now uh it was voted on in the house over the weekend and it is now going to be moving through the Senate. And there are still some specifics that are going to be worked out in the Senate specifically about, um, minimum wage, uh, and, uh, as well as, um, student, uh, possibly student debt cancellation, uh, and some other things as well. Um, are, <laughs> I can't believe that we're still having the minimum wage uh discourse the I mean apart from Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema who can absolutely get fucked, uh, the Democrats in the Senate are presenting a pretty united front on a fifteen dollar minimum wage um, apart from our you know. Essentially, our two Republican Democratic senators, which are Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, um, but of course, uh, you know Republicans are losing their minds about a fifteen dollars minimum wage. Tom Cotton and Mitt Romney um, drafted a proposal for a ten dollars minimum wage. Absolutely disg- disgusting! Like, disgusting! Like not even Hillary's centrist. 2016 $12 minimum wage. That was five years ago, and they're going lower. Absolutely ghoulish. Um, So $15 minimum wage seems to be uh, what's going to prevail for the day. Um, I think it would be monumentally stupid for any Democrat in the Senate, particularly the two that I mentioned, to vote against this. When it's very easy, it's actually, it would be a great midterms message to say the Republican Party voted to not give you any relief, voted against giving you any relief when we were in the most dire straits of our lifetime. Uh, The the ads, like, write themselves. So the idea that... uh, That fucking Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema are gumming up the works, uh, you know. Kristen Cinema, you are no longer welcome in bisexual spaces. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No,
1: totally. I mean, the thing is, is like, what's frustrating about this in particular? um, This uh, by this, I mean the Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema discourse is like, yeah, they fucking suck, but they're also Democrats. Biden can bully them into supporting the things that he wants them to support. You know, like, I mean, he could go to their states. He could mm-hmm. like post on Twitter, just like we successfully watched Trump do for years. And by successfully, I mean, Trump got what he wanted from mm-hmm. Republicans. He got people to fall in line. And, you know, Biden at this point is the leader of the party. He could do that. Like he could make the political consequence to uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema high enough for not supporting minimum wage, for example, that they would, in all likelihood, absolutely support it if their own constituents were, you know, getting worked up about about it. And, you know, the reason that this isn't happening is because it's such a convenient excuse for Democrats to have, like, a reason to not do something. And before it was, you know, oh, well, Mitch McConnell, Republicans, controlled the Senate. Um, yeah, you know, that is... Th- that was a good excuse, uh, in some ways, but, you know, it also like that was also being applied, you know, in the first couple years of Obama's, uh, presidency when, uh, democratic house and Senate. And, you know, now we're seeing the same thing and, you know, there's just, there, there's just really, uh, never a time when they're taking the actions that are necessary to
2: help people. So to Joe Biden's credit, uh he does seem to be pretty um, disinterested in the idea of compromising on the on the COVID relief bill as it stands right now. So I'll just run through um, what is currently in um, in the bill. Obviously, uh, as I discussed, the $1400 stimulus check, um, currently the the exact amount of student loan, uh forgiveness is being worked out in the senate uh joe biden has <laughs> to to discredit joe biden he has uh, said that he uh, only supports uh canceling up to $10,000 um many many members of the uh of the senate on the democratic side support up to $50,000 including you know not not exactly our Lefty allies like, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer has been tweeting about it all the time. Um, yeah, so yeah, cause
1: he's, he's worried he's gonna get primaried
2: I mean, like, honestly, fine if that's what it yeah. takes, God bless. Um, no, I mean,
1: that's part of the purpose of of having these primary challenges <laughs> yeah. is to fucking scare people. I you know. know, uh,
2: so, um, yeah, the minimum wage is still being worked out, um, but if it doesn't, if the $15 hike, for whatever reason, doesn't get through uh, in the Senate, uh, Joe Biden signed an executive order directing the Office of Personnel Management to create recommendations for uh, a minimum wage increase to $15 an hour for federal jobs. So it seems like he is going to try to work around, um, even if it, it fails here. But I think I think a fifteen dollar minimum wage is becoming kind of uh, public consensus at this point. And rightly, uh, your your Tom Cottons and your Mitt Romney's are looking like really craven uh for for suggesting something as absolutely paltry as a ten dollar.
1: Yeah, and and just to be clear, this the fifteen dollars would not be the federal minimum wage until twenty twenty five. Right. Um, yeah, and you know it's it's not enough money now. It certainly won't be then. You know the demands for uh, for fifteen was originally made at a time when that would have been enough to cover rent and bills. Like the point was like a livable minimum wage, and that number has gone up you know um so yeah it's uh it's it's really 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 frustrating
2: it is very frustrating um it it, you know it is worth worth noting that like a $15 minimum wage would it would more than double their income (laughs) so
1: yeah and no and that's definitely like I, I think you know, you make an important point, um, which like your underlying point that I'm hearing is like, you know, with uh, with some of like, if the if the Democrats do something that helps people, that's good. You know, like it 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 falls like it, it falls very short. But you know, like if anybody has any extra money, if anybody has like. Um, you know, healthcare that didn't have before, like, that's, that's good. Like, something can be wholly insufficient. And like, we can still, you know, be happy when anyone's life is improving. I think this idea that like, leftists are, you know, somehow unhappy, if anything gets better, that's, that's not true. Like, we, we want to be wrong, we want to help people. But you know, it's uh yeah, I mean, part of the reason that it's our, our, our function in society to, to be pushing for, you know, actual, reasonably, uh, like, <laughs> what would actually be just and fair and good, mm-hmm. uh, is because like, it's you, you know what the centuries bring back as a compromise is is always going to fall short of that, and you know, Bernie Sanders has been like. Uh, you know, a great example of this um, through his career, you know, like wh- what he's been able to do with like changing the political discourse, like has, you know, ha- even though like none of Bernie's policies have, uh, have, ha- have, you know, come into uh, effect, except for um, when he really pushed for the, uh, for gig workers to have unemployment insurance at the beginning of COVID. Um, it, it, you know, like it, it just, it changes what's on the table and i'm not saying like we want the things that we want to happen but like anybody who is saying to you like uh well you need to be you know realistic about what can happen it's not our job to be realistic it's our job to push for what is actually good and fair um and to hold politicians accountable to that like this thing of you know people being pundits where they're like well actually you know he's only been in office 34 days and 1400 plus 600 is actually two thousand dollars shut up you're yeah. being a bootlicker you know yeah
2: um no i i agree and um i certainly 15 dollars. though to put a button on on the minimum wage discussion uh 15 is is not enough but uh it it would still be a victory if we got it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of what I I, I want to underscore there. Um so uh moving on, the there will be an additional $400 uh in federal empl- unemployment benefits that will extend through um through August. That would be up from the $300 ones that Congress approved in December um there will be an expanded child tax credit um allowing families to claim up to $3600 per child uh under 6 and up to $3000 per year for those 6 to 17 um and that would be up from uh 2000 uh which is uh was the one that was was under the Trump administration um, coronavirus vaccine delivery throughout the U.S., um, more than 75 million vaccine doses have been distributed so far. Um, Biden has ordered, uh, apparently he has ordered enough vaccines, uh, for almost everyone in the country. Um, but, uh, as we all know, the, the rollout has been really, uh, shoddy to say the least. Um, the, the eviction ban is extend would be extended through September and that's pretty huge um and it would provide thirty billion dollars in rental assistance uh, for renters and small landlords especially low and moderate income households um, that's another one that i I think is is really great uh funding for schools to help schools reopen um. Just fucking vaccinate the teachers. <laughs> yeah. um, and then additional money for state, local, and tribal governments. Um, you know, this is $1.9 trillion. Uh, this would be, it's it, this package, if it passes, um, would be a tremendous uh, and necessary amount of relief uh, for the country. Again, Uh, There are a number of parts of it that I think do not go far enough. But I think the fact that we are having this discussion in terms of a relief package of this side, of this size, rather, um, without too many... uh, too many centrists being like, "What about the deficit?" Certainly, Republicans are filling that void. Uh, I think is is a win, and it shows um, the the dire straits that we're in. Certainly, um, but yeah, I'm 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 interested to see, particularly where the minimum wage discussion and the um, student debt cancellation. Uh, Discussion go because it does seem like the majority of Senate Democrats are to Biden's left on uh, certainly on student debt cancellation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Biden has. I I think he was on CNN last week talking about uh, how he opposed the fifty fifty thousand dollars. Just you know, weren't going to do it, and he also political Politico published uh, a piece last week um on the 18th biden privately tells governors minimum wage hike likely isn't happening and his reason for that is uh that he he doesn't believe that it's something that can be done through reconciliation um which is the process you know by which you could uh pass something with 50 votes and actually uh, or 51 votes. I actually uh, got into that a little bit with Andrew Perez. He's he he knows more than I do about Senate parliamentary procedure and why it would actually be possible. Um, so check that interview out. We also talked a lot about uh, a piece that he just wrote for the Daily Poster about why the um, the the health aspect of this stimulus uh, is basically a huge giveaway to private insurers that is overly expensive and isn't going to get enough, uh, enough people, healthcare. So really good interview.
2: But I, what I will say about this is, is that a time like this, uh, having a, a bill of this size, a stimulus bill of this size moving its way through the Senate is a great time to have your uh, budget committee chairman, Bernie Sanders. <laughs>
1: no, absolutely. Bernie <laughs> has a lot of power. We, we yeah. talked about that in the interview, too. And, you know, to your point about, like, kind of the, the changing norms, I mean, you're right. Like, what it's, you know, it's not, like, n- it has become unacceptable to some much greater degree to be, you know, a Democrat who was like, what oh, about the deficit? I mean, like it still happens all the mm-hmm. time, but you know, there's becoming a consequence for it. I was thinking about it this week um, in a totally unrelated kind of a uh, non political thing, sort of a, uh, you, you know, the podcast rely all reply, all not rely, all reply, all uh which is you know sometimes people think that we are that podcast and we're not we're reply, we're not. We're guys. reply
2: guys we're the yeah. much sadder version of reply
1: <laughs> yeah but so you know um they did this story this like multi-part series on uh bone appetit and yeah, I've been the listening to toxic it. work environment there um yeah I, I did listen to the first two episodes and it, it was good but you know part of what it was talking about is um you know like uh, the efforts of BA employees particularly uh employees of color to unionize and uh, like you know people at BA that did not support that effort that would have really made a difference like more than anything else in the conditions and the reporter Shruti Penamanini um for that story talked about how she uh, opposed a mm-hmm.
2: similar a effort to it yeah, yeah
1: Gimlet, and you know, horrible. But I think what is new uh, is that, like, uh, PJ Vote, who was one of the the founding co-hosts, as well as Truthy Panamanini, they got a ton of backlash for not supporting the union, and I think that there is something optimistic about the fact that it is like becoming uh quote unquote unwoke to not support unions, that there is like a a uh a, a social consequence for that and mm-hmm. that people, you know, if you don't support unions, people are gonna think that you're racist. And yeah. you know, that's true. But uh I mean that's that's new, right? Like that is yeah. a, that is a positive development that like somebody would um I don't know that someone would receive that level of backlash for not
2: not supporting a union i think and and I think that um labor has become this has become a really galvanizing issue obviously around you know um, th- that's very central to the the fight for the increased minimum wage um but opposition to unions. Has become a, a real uh, a real lightning rod, and it's I think it has built a lot of class solidarity around people who pr- almost certainly have different political ideologies, um, and that's all we can hope for. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I wanna I just want to quickly mention where we're at in confirmation hearings. Um, some some little updates. Uh, I, I had previously on the show talked about uh, Deb Haland who is uh, the nominee for Secretary of the Interior. Her uh, her hearing, her confirmation hearings began yesterday, and they continue today. It's Wednesday, the twenty fourth. Um, Joe Manchin. Uh, also undecided, apparently, on Deb Haaland uh, Because she um, is not a human oil rig I don't know I am really, really frustrated uh, with, with him and Kirsten Cinema. Uh I think that they both need to be shot out of a cannon into the sun But... Um, it seems as that I, I just I do think it's interesting look I hate we all know we we near Tandon is no friend of of this show uh, <laughs> certainly but I will say interesting piece written by last week's guest uh, David Cleon uh, for The Nation uh, called Defending Near Tandon's Tweets But Not Near Tandon. Yes um, yeah and I it's saw very, that. It's very good and it's like the issue that is raised about Neera Tanden uh, in her confirmation proceedings is that she's been too mean to Republicans. Uh, and, like, it's a side note that she's also been very uh, mean online to Bernie Sanders, but it's, like, it's really, yes. like... like It's, like, how dare she uh, speak out against Susan Collins?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's... I, look... Uh, I do not think that anybody should pay any kinds of uh, career price for being mean online. Right, and I feel strongly about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it might be relevant to my personal interest. Absolutely.
2: Get, yeah. Um, Look, I mean, uh, it, it, it's not lost on me that the the three. Uh, potential cabinet nominees that joe manchin allegedly has the most problem with are all people of color uh (laughs) Nira deb halen and javier becerra who is the uh who is the nominee for uh, health and human services it's also worth noting that deb halen is replacing a literal fossil fuel lobbyist uh or if she is, is nominated, if she is confirmed, she will be replacing a literal fossil fuel uh, lobbyist. And the Republicans questioning her during her hearing yesterday were just embarrassing themselves, like just straight up, obviously lying about so much, saying that the Keystone pipeline was actually going to be a, um, a net zero carbon emission project. Like, get out of my life. I can't, um, yeah, basically saying that, like, we're going to lose all these jobs. Um, it's, you know, the Trump administration had opened up a lot of federal lands to drilling. That was a big part of their Secretary of, their uh, their inter- Department of the Interior project. Um, so basically it's incumbent upon Deb Halen to, uh, reverse a lot of those policies and go a step further, which a lot of people think she she and Javier Becerra are probably the two nominees that I am most uh, excited about, tentatively, cautiously excited about. Um, but um, it seems like both of them have are going to have an easier time getting confirmed than neera Tandon will (laughs) which
1: is yeah i i don't think that neera Tandon is going to get confirmed and you know i think i think this might have been from david cleon's piece but either way uh i saw folks talking about it is like yeah the the tweets are not the worst thing about neera Tandon. um she punched one of her employees Mm -hmm. um she uh dissolved uh the uh publication division um it's not called the publication think progress was the blog she dissolved it um rather than uh you know support uh her uh rather than support the union um not even like supporting the union like she uh dissolved it because there was going to be a union um and you know huge iraq war supporter uh supporter of uh the disastrous um disastrous uh like regime change in libya um
2: there are an abundance of great reasons to not support near attendance confirmation. Her tweets, uh, saying that Susan Collins is like a ghoul or whatever, are not among them. Uh, and the fact that those are what's kind of being uh, dragged in front of of her her potential confirmation says everything you need to know about the priorities of the Senate.
1: Yeah. No i I totally agree. I, this idea. I mean. This idea of civility is just, it's, it's constantly how are we not weaponized. Done, how are we
2: not done with that after the last four years? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, no, it's so disgusting. Um, You know, it's, there. I mean, it is funny that she has been so mean to Bernie Sanders and that he plays this huge role in her confirmation. I hope, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I hope she's sweating but um,
2: <laughs> yeah, she sucks. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we, uh, we went long on our intro this week, but I think, I think we, we had a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. That's good.
1: All right. Well, so um, ch- please check out this interview with Andrew Perez from the daily poster. Uh, it was so great to talk to him. Um, and the daily poster for those who don't know um, is a, a newish publication that Andrew Perez started with David Sorota after David Sirota left bernie's campaign um and yet we talked about uh the new health plan not the new health plan like the the new plan for uh subsidies and cobra um and also we talked about minimum wage parliamentary procedure and he was just really good of about answering some of these questions uh like into the minutia of why is it this way that like yeah. <laughs> i personally didn't understand and um yeah he'll give you a thoughtful breakdown so that you can um own the libs online love All that right. <laughs> love that for you
2: yeah love that for you um <laughs> yeah. thank you thank you so much for everyone who uh who has recently uh subscribed to our patreon and who continues to subscribe we really appreciate it and um we yeah. Uh if you have and if you haven't done so already, we would love uh to have you over there. We do an uh a Patreon specific episode every week. Um and they're always fun. They're a little bit looser than than how we are on here. Yeah. Um,
1: we, we we spill tea on those. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If yeah.
1: <laughs> if you, you want to know what's going on,
2: we spill the tea. Know,
1: we we spell the tea. We, spill the we say who we say who we hate. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fun. Um, I was gonna say you can hear about the cats, but you can hear about them on the main feed Yeah,
2: too, let's we there. The cats are eternal. Um, yeah. All okay. Right. Well, thanks Thank everybody. You so much. Bye. Bye
1: hello we are so lucky on reply guys this week to be joined by andrew perez from the daily poster whose writing i have seen online a bunch and i'm so glad to finally get to sit down with you for the show thanks so much for coming out
0: Thanks andrew for ha-
1: not out coming on zoom yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me
1: um so The Daily Poster, that's a pretty new publication that has been putting out some great stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Uh, So I helped start the Daily Poster uh, in April with David Sirota um, after the Bernie Sanders campaign ended. He helped start up this newsletter. um, And so we've been going at it now since, I think, April. Um, And yeah, it's been great. We're a fully grassroots funded news outlet. Um, and you can find it at dailyposter.com.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen some uh, really great coverage. And I know that you have a new piece coming out uh, for the Daily Poster, which is why I was really stoked to talk to you today, um, called Propping Up the Health Insurance Industry is Expensive. Um So you've been looking into uh, the Biden administration plan to prop up the health insurance industry. Um, Can you start by giving us a little bit of background on what that plan
0: is? Sure. So within the Biden uh, COVID relief plan, and it's, you know, it's being written by Democratic lawmakers um, in the House and Senate and the the House proposals out now. Um, And the basis of this proposal is that they want to put um, basically billions of dollars into new subsidies for health insurance companies to subsidize uh, people's plans that they might get on the Affordable Care Act uh, marketplace or you know the state exchanges. Um, and they they want to <clears throat> the plan would pretty pretty significantly limit a lot of people's Uh, premium costs, especially for people who um, right now are getting hit by what what they call the subsidy cliff. Um, And that is if you earn $51,000 or more, you're not eligible for subsidies on these insurance plans, and you might end up paying just an absolute ton of money to health insurance companies up to like 20% of your income. Um, and what, so the, the real, you know, the real benefit in this plan is that it would cut, um, it would limit people's, uh, premiums to eight, 8.5% of their income. So that, that would be a pretty big shift, but you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of problems with, you know, having this be the kind of backbone of, of the, of your health insurance, you know, overhaul plan.
1: Let's say somebody makes like $60,000 a year. What is what's approximately like eight percent of that just to kind of give people an idea. Five thousand yeah, so for the year. It might come out
0: to like four hundred twenty-five dollars a month. Um and
1: Okay, so that's still like hugely, hugely expensive. Not that's cheap. A lot of money. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These the premiums on these plans are, are not cheap. You know, right now I'm I'm thirty-one years old. I'm paying, you know, over four hundred dollars a month. For these plans, and it's because I don't want to get stuck with a huge deductible. Um, yeah, I just don't. If I if I need healthcare, I don't want to be doing that. Um, it's just a risk that no one should really have to think about. So you know, the, the the problem with these plans often is that if you choose one of the the less expensive plans, you can you can be dealing with deductibles that are like over eight thousand dollars um
1: yeah it's absolutely horrible um i have the dream which is employer provided health insurance and uh they cover absolutely nothing (laughs) except for like one physical and one lady exam until five thousand dollars and then after that they cover like 70 percent so you know, as someone who was without insurance for years, I was like, okay, this is gonna be so cool. I'll have health insurance. Finally, I'll be able to like, go to the doctor, get medicine covered. No, it's still exactly the same thing. I'm paying, you know, 300 bucks for an ear infection or some shit. It's not nothing is different. These plans are so, so, so terrible. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Yep. You know, you're right. Absolutely right. The the scary thing right now is if you are earning just above that subsidy cliff, you can end up paying so much of your income right now for health insurance. Like, even more than we're talking about. Just for just for the privilege of having these plans with a high deductible that still require you to chip in a lot of money out of pocket anytime you go to the doctor or any, you know, God forbid you need surgery.
1: Oh, wait, so, okay, I... Uh, okay, so what is... So the actual proposal I'm reading from your article, the proposal would substantially increase premium subsidies for lower income households. It would also cap all enrollees premiums at 8.5% of their income, which could be especially helpful for Americans who earn more than 51000 and don't qualify for any premium tax credit. Yep. Um, so that means so for individuals who earn less than fifty one thousand dollars they're getting additional subsidies as well yes but it's not necessarily that much unless individuals are not medicated. correct
0: so it, it could be a pretty substantial percentage of your income um that that you would save thanks to this plan so it's not it's not like a bad that that part of it is not bad in itself i mean the the, the real problem is that it's not going to address like the underlying a just the cost of these plans there's no there's no reason in the world that these plans should be this expensive um like there's no reason anyone should be paying ten thousand dollars a year five thousand dollars a year to a health insurance company in premiums when they when they're getting you know when there's also a huge deductible that they might have to pay if they actually need health care
1: um. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I know that you're a person who supports Medicare for All. Uh, I am too. Probably most listeners of the show completely on board. But, you know, when kind of thinking about how to talk to other people who may not yet know much about the advantages of single payer healthcare, like w- What's kind of the, the elevator pitch for, like, why it's so stupid that we're doing it this way instead of single-payer?
0: Um, I mean, the overall costs of these plans are phenomenally expensive. Um, people can get saddled with huge out-of-pocket costs. Um, I mean, the real, the, you know, the other benefits to moving to a single-payer-style healthcare system is that you no longer have to deal with your insurance company telling you, sorry, you don't actually need that service that a doctor just told you you need. You know, there's so many stories that people have of, of where their claims are getting denied um, after a doctor says, you need this, or, you know, their their prescriptions suddenly become much more expensive, or their doctors are suddenly no longer in their insurance network. Um, and, you know, that's that's been a whole nother bag of worms, which is that, like, companies have been uh, exploiting the whole Insurance network issue. I mean, insurance companies invented this idea, um, but you know, there, there's been a whole cottage industry of um, hospital staffing companies that uh, basically built a business model around giving people surprise medical bills. Like, if you go to the doctor you, or you go to a hospital that's considered in your insurance network, um, and they, you know, you're treated by a doctor who. It turns out doesn't participate in your insurance plan. It's 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 a real scam, and it's a way that it's a way that these companies have passed on just mega bills to patients that you know might might just bankrupt them, or or if it you know if it doesn't, it gives them all kinds of uh, anxiety and that they shouldn't have to deal with. Um, so I mean that's that's the real that's the real thing, and you know one other thing about Medicare for all is that it um, it actually enhances medicare would enhance in medicare for a lot of people they wouldn't they wouldn't have to deal with um with big prescription drug prices anymore like there's there's a whole bunch of people who are who are on medicare who uh end up dealing with huge huge bills if they if they have too expensive uh prescriptions They, they just there's a whole segment of the population that doesn't have its its entire prescriptions covered under medicare um those are so those are a few things that you know single-payer system would improve over the current status quo
1: yeah i mean it's it's really frustrating because i think like Uh, I think that there's a lot of people that when they hear Medicare for all, they're thinking Medicare. And and I know like my mom was talking to me about this. Like a lot of her friends are – um, you know, voters who are on Medicare and they're not that happy with it because of the exact issues that you're talking about, um, because a lot of the things that they need are not covered. Um, so, you know, they're like, well, why would we want more of this? You know, at least I have my my uh, Medicare supplemental insurance. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's just frustrating because, like, it makes sense for someone who isn't paying attention to politics on an, an obsessive basis to think like okay well you know the government is actually doing a pretty bad job of like healthcare so far so why would we want them to do more which is you know of course exactly what these people in charge want the conclusion they want us to come to Mm -hmm. so I don't know I don't mean to make this sound like I'm some kind of stoner in a freshman dorm or whatever but I, I just mean it's uh you know it's it is it's really depressing the extent to which the system like doesn't even allow people to imagine something that could be as functional as you break your leg you go to the hospital that's it you know yeah um let's dig into cobra a little bit um because cobra is an important piece of this uh what is what is cobra and uh what part of what part of uh, this plan pertains to COBRA?
0: Sure. Um, so if you lose your job, if you're laid off, um, you can qualify um, for COBRA coverage uh, or COBRA benefits, which allows you to pay a lot of money to the health insurance company uh, who was providing your employer health insurance plan, um, so that you can maintain that coverage. And it's, it's really expensive. It's, you know, there's, there's few areas where like people end up paying the full cost of, of their insurance plan. And that is one of them, um, right when you're laid off, which is also coincidentally the time you can least afford to be paying a lot of money for your healthcare plan. Um, so this, this bill would, um, expand or w- would subsidize COBRA coverage for. Uh, people who who've lost their job. And I, I I suspect it might be retroactive, I need to I need to get the full details on that. But um, it would at least under the House plan, um, it would pay for 85% of uh, coverage. Um, Under under the kind of original Biden proposal it would have been 100% of coverage. And I, I think those details are sort of still being negotiated right now.
1: This, you know, I mean, as as you've noted, this is a huge, huge um, boon for insurance companies and uh, not really for people. I mean, like. Could be uh, back of the envelope calculation, but like how much would you uh, how much would you expect that this like this particular plan would benefit? insurance companies um is It'd would be this like be like a, a major major uh increase in their profits or something in between
0: um i think it would be a substantial increase but probably smaller than the kind of overall ACA s- expansion subsidy expansion plan um yeah i think i think the the joint committee on taxation from congress is saying that this i think would cost like four billion dollars for the time that they're talking about but you know one of one of the Worst things about this proposal is that um, the COBRA subsidy actually only goes through, I believe, August. Um, Joe Biden was talking about September. Um, So people would benefit from that, but, you know, it would be temporary. And I'm sure people would be worried like hell that it wouldn't get extended because, you know, good possibility that doesn't get extended by, by whatever timeline people were talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it's like although the uh the premiums on the marketplace can be you know four hundred and up, that's definitely what it would have been for me in New York. Um, I mean it's nothing compared to Cobra. Like, I I think you know, this was a long time ago, but I think my parents when my dad lost his job, they had like an eighteen hundred dollar Cobra bill or something, just absolutely outrageous. Um, just completely like who has that kind of money that's that's a mortgage you know um so uh I kind of want to go back for a second to the creation of the ACA if you're down yeah one thing that I always thought before I read I read this book I read this book um we've got people by Ryan Graham who's awesome gotta have him on the show sometime if Ryan if you're listening please come on um but one thing that I didn't really know Um, is that the blame for like why we ended up with such a bad system like it didn't fall on Republicans there were so many um, possibilities including you know single payer that were negotiated out before Republicans ever had a chance to even contribute to the discussion Um, and The reason I want to come back to that for a second is because I feel like there is, you know, there's a similar thought process going on right now with these health insurance lobbyists and the Biden administration. And um, I'm wondering if you have any insight into what that process looks like.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, I, you know, as, as I understand it, they kind of tried to tweak the or I guess create the Affordable Care Act in a way that they thought republicans could get on board with um because yeah it was it's pretty much the model that was tried in massachusetts under Mitt romney when he was governor there um and it's it was you know an idea that had been sort of uh proposed i guess in one form or another over the years by the heritage foundation or at least they'd proposed it you know back in the day when democrats had been considering big, you know, far, far sweeping, uh, healthcare proposals. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's pretty much a Republican or a pretty conservative idea where the idea is that, uh, I mean, you know, actually they, they forced, they, they created a penalty to force people to buy health insurance, the individual mandate. Um, and they, they thought that was, you know, essential to getting, getting people enrolled into expanding, uh, healthcare coverage um and that doesn't even exist now republicans knocked it down and it really hasn't it hasn't fundamentally changed anything
1: <laughs> yeah nothing will fundamentally change as biden campaigned on yeah, um yeah. so you know it's a it's an extremely frustrating situation especially because healthcare was such a big topic in the democratic primary and biden you know, he was, I think, of all the major candidates was the furthest to the right on that. And um, what he was saying is, you know, we definitely don't want Medicare for all. We definitely don't want to eliminate private insur- private insurance. Uh, You know, he wasn't even pulling like a, a pete of Medicare for all who want it. He was like, we're going to have a public option. What is the status of the public option at this time?
0: Yeah. Um. So, there was a bill that was just introduced by Michael Bennett and Tim Kaine, um, Democratic senators, that I think is sort of supposed to be modeled on the Joe Biden plan um, for a public option. But it's definitely scaled back in a few ways. And it looks sort of like the, are actually pretty similar to the public option plan that Democrats were considering in 2009 and 2010 during the Affordable Care Act debate Um, and by that I mean that so the first version of it will be limited like only certain people will be able to buy into it depending on where they live if they live in an area that um, has very few insurance options on the Affordable Care Act marketplace um, that's sort of the first issue with it. Um, and then I guess it, it'll expand over four years to where anyone can buy in. But, um, if you wanted to pass a public option bill today or shit, anytime in the next few months or maybe six, eight, nine, ten 10 months, it needs, it's, it really should be in the Joe Biden COVID relief bill for the simple, yeah. <laughs> For the simple reason that um, Democrats have basically committed themselves to not ending the legislative filibuster. Um, So any bill that they want to pass outside of two budget reconciliation bills a year is going to require 60 votes and not 50 votes. Um, There are not going to be 10 Republican senators who support whatever kind of scaled back public option plan you want to They're out there doesn't really matter just not going to happen that's that's the real lesson of of the affordable care act they are not coming coming to help you um so it's gonna be a while before that even gets any kind of uh any kind of headwinds behind it whatsoever if it ever if it ever really gets you know any momentum at all
1: um, it's really frustrating because you know there's always a litany of excuses that you know Democrat partisans will make. Um, you know, of course, before it was you know Mitch McConnell and Trump, and there was legitimacy to that because you know they they were in charge. Um, but now it is uh, Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin who are absolute ghouls. But to me, it really seems like biden is not using the bully pulpit to uh you know extract all of the the leverage that he can and that there's you know the in some way these two figures are a very convenient excuse for not doing more uh curious to hear your thoughts on that
0: yeah yeah i mean they're definitely going to be a big big problem um you know there's been this whole argument over um, raising the minimum wage. Um, in in this COVID relief bill, they want to put a fifteen dollar minimum wage phase in in it. Um, and you know, there's there's two excuses for it. One is um, that because they're using this budget reconciliation process, um, the the Senate parliamentarian might say that you can't do that. You know, you, this this just isn't relevant to the to the budget this isn't a budget bill if you include the minimum wage um we're gonna see how that plays out because the the bernie the uh, bernie sanders office has been now that he's the budget chairman has been fighting to convince the parliamentarian not to rule that way so that's that's the the excuse one and like truth is they could just say who cares you know who cares what you're saying about this parliamentarian you unelected bureaucrat you know they couldn't say that um but if if they if the bernie people get their way then all you're gonna have left is joe manchin and kirsten cinema saying that they don't really think this is a good idea and last week i think uh there were a whole bunch of uh poverty activists and minimum wage activists who went to go meet with joe manchin about uh about the minimum wage and it sounds like he did not care what they had to say like even as they're all explaining how how they cannot afford to live on this salary that they're getting from you know large employers he was just like well maybe like 11 like he's so yeah there's there's gonna he's gonna be a big problem and um Dem- democrats seem to be i guess i you know they'll probably actually like it They'll like that they have, you know, someone kind of policing the left flank for them, you know, a good a good excuse. So,
1: yeah, it's like a it's a built in villain of like, oh, you know, we would have loved to. Yeah, we would have loved to do this. But and that is like, I mean, that is just what. Uh, Democrats have—that's th- like their favorite thing to campaign on. It's like we were almost gonna do it, but yeah, you know.
0: But yeah, I
1: mean, that's kind of how I am with like chores in my house. So I get it. I get the mentality. Yeah. Um, but I would expect more from an elected official. Um. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of controversy around the um stimulus, <laughs> like campaign Asif and Warnock in particular campaigning on $2000 checks and then you know it's $1400 now and there's you know a ton of people uh, pundits and journalists and other democratic politicians you know doing the math like $1400 plus 600 actually equals 2000 so wow you're so owned yeah I mean my impression is is that this is going to regardless of whether the math adds up if you promise people a $2000 check and you don't know, give them a two thousand dollar check you know there's there's gonna be uh, resentment maybe especially in such a time of desperation
0: yeah i would i would say there's a definite risk there um one 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 part of that conversation that we've been covering is uh, joe manchin has been pushing for um lawmakers to target those survival checks to people who need them um and there's been this whole weird dc beltway media campaign to say that well maybe people who who earn individuals earning fifty thousand dollars are too rich to or more than that are too rich to deserve a full 1400 you know 1400 plus 600 equals 2000 survival check um, and We've been we've been trying to cover that pretty hard. Um, And, you know, we haven't been alone in that. Like Dave Dayan at the American Prospects been all over this because and also Claudia Som, who's an economist who worked in the Obama administration, has been all over it. You know, doing doing what they were talking about would cut out 40 million people from from relief checks Um, just just because Joe Manchin likes hearing the word targeted, it thinks it sounds smart. Um, It's it's. The worst kind of impulse, like, you know, just to just to like play around with numbers on a spreadsheet and cut off aid to all these people who who have been receiving checks and who need it. That's the other thing is like we, we've we been doing some research on it. Uh, you know, lo- low income households have been hit particularly hard during COVID, but everyone has been impacted by COVID or at least lots of people across income levels. It doesn't really doesn't really matter. Of course, like, you know, the, the whole economy like shut down for like few months like it's
1: yeah and and
0: now people you know if you work in a restaurant and you are stuck still working in a restaurant right now with all these people coming in not wearing masks um odds are your hours have been cut back significantly like that's that's just you know that's across across the country all kinds of people are working less for less money um frontline worker pay got got slashed already by these companies so the idea that you could just say that people are fine is just—it's just so insane. But it's—it's it's something that like we're going to have to monitor against because uh, that could still actually that could still happen. Like the House bill doesn't go along with what Joe Manchin was saying, but who knows what the Senate will do.
1: So I, you know, getting to the end of our time together here, I I, I want to like leave things on maybe a touch of optimism. Um, so all right so you know bernie he's new chairman of the budget committee like what does what does that really mean what power does he have that's new to influence
0: well so he will be overseeing basically the the process for for the two big budget bills which you know the COVID bill is gonna is is going through that process it's it's a budget reconciliation bill um so he'll be overseeing that process you know his his team gets to tell gets gets to really lobby the parliamentarian hard right now to to allow Senate Democrats to pass a minimum wage increase under under these terms. Um so he definitely does have power. Um and you know he can hold hearings. I, I believe he's holding hearings this week on employers, on you know, these big employers that pay minimum wage um pay the minimum wage to their employees like at like mcdonald's and walmart um so that's you know and and to try to you know name and shame them and make them feel bad hopefully to where they do better Uh, so that's that's one power
1: that's awesome i mean i love i love to see some naming and shaming um and i guess another thing that i feel you know mildly optimistic about which has been a subject of much contention on the left over the past few months is the growing influence of, you know, I I hate the word progressive, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, of progressive members of the House, um, the squad, and, you know, some other like-minded folks, um, people who ran um, small donor campaigns. I mean, because the Democratic majority is a little slimmer it 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 seems like they do have more influence this time around yeah
0: yeah they should it's i mean it's it's funny it's a double-edged sword because because there's such like a small uh gap between democrats and republicans like it gives progressive lawmakers the squad more opportunity to try to to be you know the wrench in the gears but like I guess you know the, the the conservative democratic caucus can can pull that too. So it's but it it does give them both at least equal leverage. They're more equal leverage than they've had in the past. So it's it's a, that's a good development.
1: <laughs> it's definitely really hard to feel like you know Biden. Made a lot of promises during his campaign, and I'll I'll admit that I didn't keep track of all of them. But you know, basically, like the you know the plan was to to deal with COVID uh, and, and the related economic crisis extremely aggressively in the first thirty days or no hundred days. And I know that he has you know he's done a lot with regard to the vaccine, um, but. In other ways it seems to me uh, he's falling pretty short of what he promised. What what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I think it's a definite mixed bag. Um you know, we we have one of our ongoing newsletters now is on, on every Friday we're doing a you love to see it segment just because we don't want to depress ourselves let alone our readers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, we're going to we're going to you know, we'll try to emphasize when they do okay things. You know, one one thing that I think um, one thing that we were pleasantly uh, I wouldn't say surprised by but like something that we thought was positive was it looks like they're considering um, kind of relaxing the these like guidelines on unemployment that Republicans have been insisting on that basically force people to go back into the workplace if even if they don't feel safe at their workplace, um, if you want to qualify for unemployment, you just can't if unless unless you just, yeah, you, yeah, unless you're accepting all these job offers um, that I don't know whether they exist or not. But, um, <clears throat> the, you know, the benefit there is that if hopefully, hopefully, like the unemployment system won't be used as a, as, as a wedge to penalize people and force them back into the workplace if they're not safe. And that, you know, that's another story we'll keep monitoring.
1: Well, I would like to thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and your writing?
0: Uh, sure. So my Twitter handle is Andrew Perez DC. And our website is dailyposter.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, we really appreciate your coming on. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon.
2: Thank you so much for listening to reply guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash replyguys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Framgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel.